0: I'm glad
1: you're able to join us for this latest episode of Let the Bible Speak. This is a weekly broadcast where we examine the Bible text and consider how that text speaks to our hearts and our lives today. We've been studying Paul's first letter to Timothy and we've come as far as chapter 4 and the verse number 6. So let's hear the word of God afresh today. 1 Timothy 4 verse 6 through 9 says this, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Nourished up in the words of faith, and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. Let's just ask the Lord to help us as we come to study the word afresh today. Eternal God, we thank you for your word. We pray you would give us help in both the teaching of the word and in the hearing of it. We pray that it would be a means of edifying your people and even in your mercy be used to draw some soul to Christ Jesus. And so bless your word to your hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, Are letters from paul that gives apostolic instruction to the christian minister concerning the church of jesus christ paul refers to timothy in this sixth verse as a good minister of jesus christ and in this verse he encourages timothy to be one putting the brethren in remembrance but as the apostle directs the christian minister he so in turn gives instructions beyond the preacher to all of the Lord's people. We are those who must receive the word of God that comes by way of reminder. We should understand that there's a danger of apostatizing from the faith. Now, that is the issue that Paul has been addressing with Timothy in these verses, the lies of the devil, distort the gospel. And so the Christian minister is to both teach the true gospel and warn about the false And they will do so by continually reminding the people of God regarding truth. And so the Lord's people, as they read these words, should not be resistant to preaching that is often familiar. We should be thankful that we've heard certain truths many, many times. We are a forgetful people. And it is necessary that the Lord continues to remind us of his truth as the gospel preacher engages in the task of Reminding the people about the word of God. It is good to remember these things. And so Paul addresses Timothy. And he says it is his task to put the brethren in remembrance of these things. Being a good minister of Jesus Christ. But as he gives Timothy this instruction. He also speaks to Timothy personally. That he himself is nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine. That he himself must exercise unto godliness. Paul has a concern for Timothy. He tells Timothy to look after himself. It's wonderful to read about Paul's fatherly heart towards Timothy's well-being. He's worried about his stomach. He's worried about how he's being treated. We see in these letters a, a wonderful picture of Paul's heart of compassion. And so in these short verses he's Really telling Timothy the pathway to continued spiritual health through grace. The sinner, once dead in sin, is made alive in Christ Jesus. But that spiritual life that comes through the grace of God is to be sustained. And so Timothy is to exercise himself unto godliness. It's a language, a metaphor of health and indeed spiritual health being nourished exercising, and these things that are conducive to life. In essence, Paul is telling Timothy to do his duty as a Christian minister, and if he's going to do his duty, then he must be in good spiritual health. In other words, he's saying to Timothy, you must look after yourself. And in so doing, he he shows all of us as God's people how we can be healthy Christians, Now, we are living in a generation in the Western world where there is a a great emphasis on good health. And in so many ways, the message of good health in today's society is the same message that Paul gives Timothy regarding his spiritual health. In very simple terms, spiritual health is maintained by ensuring we have a good diet and that we also engage in good exercise. And those are the two things I want to leave before you today in this message. First of all then, the issue of a good diet. Paul tells Timothy that he is to be nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. A good diet is vital for health. I remember in my early life in school being exposed to some of the images of the German concentration camps And those who were in those camps during the Second World War and through the absence uh, absence of nourishment had the physical effects of feeling health. Diet is vital for good health. But a good diet in our day involves taking in certain things and leaving out other things. And so that's what Paul is telling Timothy in verse 6 where he's nourished up in the words of faith and good doctrine. But he's also refusing profane and old wives' fables. There are things that he is to take in in his diet and there are things that he is to leave out. So positively, he is to be nourished in the words of faith and good doctrine. The words of faith speak of faith in that objective sense. The faith that has been delivered unto the saints, the body of truth, the Christian message, the doctrines of the gospel. Paul's used this term in a previous verse in this very chapter. In verse 1, he speaks about how the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith. And as they depart from the faith, they're giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And so as they listen to falsehood, so they depart from the faith. And so the faith is a positive term of the body of doctrine, the church of Christ, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. According to chapter 3 and the verse number 15, the word of faith is the word of good, healthy Christian doctrine. The word doctrine is not popular in many Christian circles. Some people think that the Christian life is lived as a relationship with the Lord Jesus and the doctrine obstructs that. doctrine makes the Christian life intellectual and, and not experiential. Now, we, of course, believe firm, firmly that the Christian life is our relationship with Christ Jesus, but it is our relationship of one whom we come to know and enjoy through the means of good Christian doctrine. When the new converts and the Pentecost were gathered together into bodies and into churches, while well, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers, Acts 2, verse 42, the word doctrine simply means teaching and the new converts were steadfast in the apostles' teaching. They were under the word of the apostles. And the word doctrine is used several times in 1 Timothy, really encouraging us to understand that Christian doctrine is vital for the well-being of the Christian church. Paul tells Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, that he has to give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. In the same chapter, verse 16, he says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. And the elders who are counted worthy of double honour are those who are labouring in the word and in doctrine. First Timothy 5, verse 17. And then in the last chapter, Paul says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. I'm just showing you the importance that Paul stresses on the matter of Christian doctrine and teaching. It is the primary task of the preacher to be a teacher of the word of God. Paul tells Timothy in the second epistle, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We should be very suspicious when people Cast scorn upon the practice of teaching good Christian doctrine. You ought to be part of a church whereby the word of God is taught clearly and precisely. And there is a concern regarding the doctrines and the truths of the gospel as taught in the word of God. Paul acknowledges that Timothy has already a grasp of sound doctrine. He says he is to be nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto he has already attained. And so the point is that he is to continue to be nourished in these doctrines. Just because you may have understood a Christian doctrine before does not mean that you leave that behind you in your Christian life. You ought to continue to be nourished by the truth of the word of God. I certainly enjoyed some uh, nice chicken last week, but I hope I get some more this week. We have to continue to be nourished in the continual appropriation of the doctrines of the word to our hearts. We don't get nutrients into our bodies by osmosis or by diffusion. We receive nutrients into our bodies as we open our mouths, as we chew, we swallow, we digest. And so the Christian must in private as well as in public assembly take in doctrine. They must take in the, the word of God as is revealed in the scriptures. We must also make use of books and other means, audio means and such that will help explain the Bible. We should be diligent in studying the Word of God. The the teaching implies that teachers are to be heard or are to be read. Christian books, Christian audio means, these things that would enable us to receive the Word of God and to be nourished by it. You take the example of the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement. That big term is presently under attack in some quarters. There are various theories of the atonement. Some see the atonement as the example of the love of God or perhaps the atonement is whereby Christ pays a ransom to Satan. The truth of the word of God is contained in the words of the hymn, In my place condemned he stood. Christ was our substitute and he was our substitute suffering the punishment that we deserve for our sins. Hence it is penal substitutionary atonement. Through Christ's death our sins are covered. God's wrath is appeased and we're reconciled to God. How does that truth nourish us? How does that truth strengthen us in our faith? Well, of course, such a truth gives us assurance of this forgiveness of our sins. Christ has paid the price in full. We can be delivered from doubt. We need not Fear, because payment God cannot twice demand. Having taken Christ's atonement on our behalf, God will not therefore charge our sins against us. When we understand the doctrine of penal substitution, we are greatly encouraged in the assurance that we enjoy in our Christian life. Furthermore, when we understand that doctrine properly, that will drive us to an increase in holiness. As we consider how our sin crucified our loving Saviour, then we respond in our souls by thinking that we, we, we dare not sin. We dare not commit those things that place Christ upon the cross. We're increasing in our devotion when we understand these doctrines. I love Christ as he first loved me. As we consider the love of Christ as he hung upon Calvary's tree, so it drives our hearts and warms our hearts to love Christ more and more. So the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement is not a dry intellectual theory. It is taught in the Word of God, and as it is taught in the Word of God, so it nourishes the child of God. You take the issue of our adoption, that we're brought into the family of God, that those who've been justified by faith, they have peace with God, but beyond that, they're given the Spirit, whereby they cry, Abba, Father, and they're part of God's family. How does that nourish us? Well, it encourages us, that we should have boldness in our prayers. That we know that we come before God in grace and humility. It is by grace that we're part of the family of God. Oh, a good diet is vital for good, healthy Christian living. I encourage you to make sure that you're taking in the finest of the doctrines of the Word of God in order for you to have a healthy Christian life. But not only are we to bring in good food... Spiritually speaking, we are to avoid junk food. Paul tells Timothy to refuse profane and old wives' fables. Now, the identity of these things is unclear. My point today is simply that we are to be careful regarding the spiritual diet that we take in. We ought to be careful what we listen to, whether it be on a radio program like this, or whether it be through some means of cable television there are all manners of teachers out there who claim to teach christian truth but tragically many of those teachers are heretical in various points junk food is food it is easily eaten but it is not good for us and thus there are those on popular media who would deny the bible to be the inspired word of god who would suggest that the miracles of the virgin birth and the resurrection are parables they are uh, images but they are not actual points of history. And so there are those who would teach publicly, being broadcast on various media, but they are not providing good food. It's junk food and it ought to be avoided. And so let me encourage you to seek out good food. Be under sound, Bible teaching. Ensure you read the Bible yourself regularly with a desire to understand what the word is teaching. Use other helps. In essence, if you are to be healthy in the Christian life, you must ensure that you take care regarding your diet. But like a good health care professional, spiritual health is not just brought about through diet. It is also brought about through good exercise. So we thought about the matter of a good diet. Let's note also this matter of godly exercise. Paul tells Timothy, Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promised the life that now is and of that which is to come. Let me make a passing comment regarding the matter of bodily exercise. Some people have misunderstood the first part of verse number 8, where it says, Bodily exercise profiteth little. And in so understanding this, they have suggested that Christians should not engage in any bodily exercise because it does not profit. That is not what the verse means. This verse does not mean that a Christian should not engage in physical bodily exercise. The text suggests that bodily exercise profits a little, or if you like, for a little time. In other words, bodily exercise is beneficial, it is useful. It is good for our physical frame. It is good to preserve our lives. However, it is only good for a short time. It is only good for this time. Whereas godly exercise and spiritual exercise is beneficial for all times. Not only for this life, but also for the life to come. So please don't read First Timothy 4 verse 8 and give up on your gym membership. It is beneficial to be involved in physical exercise. But beyond that, godliness is more beneficial. It has a greater surpassing benefit that we should not ignore. The word that Paul uses here is the word that we get our word gymnasium from. Paul often speaks of the Greek athletic world. He uses the athletic metaphor on several occasions. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth a prize, so run that ye may obtain. Even describing the end of his own life, he says, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Once more using this athletic metaphor, be a very common theme for Paul, familiar to the readers. The Christian life is lived like the athlete, the Christian's involved in running and throwing and wrestling. And as such, they're engaged in training for their lives, training for their events as the runner trains so the Christian will exercise themselves unto godliness. So what does the Word of God teach us regarding this exercise? Well, let me note a few things in passing uh, before we come to the close. First of all, the purpose of godly exercise is godliness. Exercise thyself unto godliness. This is one of the words that we kind of know what it is, but struggle how to define and describe. It's used several times in the New Testament. and Most Bible dictionaries include the idea of piety, reverence, and devotion. One dictionary says it is a particular manner of life in which the believer is devoted to God. Godliness is God-centered living and we are to exercise ourselves unto this godliness, that we would live our lives knowing that God sees how we live, that God directs how we live, and that God is glorified in how we live. A related word to this word godliness is the word godly, and the opposite of that is ungodliness. In other words, the godly live a godly life. Peter tells his readers that we are to add to knowledge temperance to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness. So, this word godliness is it's more than a summary term for the Christian life. It is something that we add into our Christian experience as we become more and more mature. We are to deny ungodliness, according to Titus chapter 2, and rather live soberly, righteously, and godly. So, this matter of godliness is beyond the obedience to the word of God. It's beyond the living of righteous lives. It is a life of piety, devotion, a spiritual life, a life lived under God, for God, devoted to God in every part of life. It is God's will that we be God-centered in our living, and our spiritual exercise is to bring about that end, that we be those whose lives are marked by devotion to our God, With a desire to live for his glory and his honour. Now if that is the purpose, how do we pursue this? Well, Exercise is often a a word that is not popular. We understand it involves exertion, sacrifice, self-discipline and time. It involves patience as results don't come overnight. And so it is in the Christian life that as we exercise ourselves, we do so with exertion and sacrifice. And the practice of it is that we engage in the means of grace. How do we exercise ourselves under godliness? Well, we we'll use the equipment that God has given us. You can go to a, a local fitness gym and you go stand and watch other people exercise. You can admire the equipment, but unless you use the equipment, it will be of no benefit to you. And so it is in the Christian life. God has given us various equipments that we can use to strengthen ourselves in our faith, to exercise ourselves under godliness. He's given us public worship where the preaching of the word of God is conducted and there's public prayer. He's given us Christian fellowship and discipleship. He's given us the exercise of private devotion in the word and prayer and in song. He's given us the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Being at the gym is not enough. You've got to use the equipment. Therefore, you to exercise your faith. You must listen, read, meditate. You must do the word of God. You must believe the word of God. And these are the things that bring about a godly life. So we thought about the purpose. It is godliness. The pursuit involves exertion. The practice involves the means of grace. And the performance is really the result of this godliness can be imitated. There are those that Paul writes about in 2 Timothy chapter 3 who have a form of godliness but are denying the power thereof. It's important that our Christian living is not hypocritical, but rather it is genuine. There are some who want to look like they are fit athletes. They put on the gear, they put on the the external clothing and they put on the sneakers but they themselves are a fraud they may look like a runner but the reality is so different and so it is in the christian life there are some who put on an external form of godliness but their heart is missing and so we must understand that the purpose of our christian exercise is to strengthen our heart in terms of our love for christ jesus and our devotion to him now such exercise comes with a tremendous promise. It has the promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. Those who are diligent in the exercising of themselves in the Christian life have fullness of life. Godliness is the best way to live in this age. There are many Christians who are suffering from spiritual and pains. They are spiritually weak. And what is required is that they engage in Godly exercise. It is as they engage themselves in the means of grace, as they take in that good diet along with good exercise, so they will be living a beneficial and a successful Christian life now and also in the anticipation of the life to come. Bodily exercise is only beneficial for now, but spiritual exercise has eternal benefits. I could put it this way. Where there is no godliness, there is no glory. That's what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 teaches. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. In other words, it is those who exercise themselves unto godliness. Who have the promise of life. The life that is to come. Those who are saved by God's grace. Justified by Christ's blood. Are those who will exercise themselves unto godliness. And godliness that will lead them into eternal life. I trust that Lord will bless his word again to your hearts. We're thankful once more for the reminder that the Christian life is the best life. It's the best way to live in this fallen world. And may God help us to live for his glory today. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to our souls today. We pray you would help your people to pay heed to the word That we would not be careless and slovenly Christians, but be those who would engage in spiritual exercise to the benefits of our hearts. That we would walk with God,
0: and that we'd love you, and that we'd be diligent in our service of the King. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the Gospel or the Church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The Church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.